The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. With the 2019 NFL Draft in the books, the Chicago Bears roster is, for the first time in a long time, basically set for training camp. But that leaves just one question. Where are we now? My position-by-position answer is coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. Hello and welcome everybody to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. Now it's crazy to say it, but yes Bears fans, we are already in May, and that means that not only is free agency well behind us, but the draft is done too. And that's left me asking myself one major question over and over and over. Where are the Bears now? How are we position by position? You know, we were pretty darn good in 2018. So between free agency and the draft, where are we now? Are we feeling good heading into 2019? My general gut is yes, but over the course of this show, I'm going to go position by position, covering not only the latest news in the eight-man kicking competition that was, depending on your viewpoint, either a fiasco or a big success, and everything else that's happened, not only in the draft, but also free agency, to try and take sort of a, uh, a hindsight perspective on how everything's gone so far and sum up the current team's status heading into 2019. There's a lot to be excited about. There's some things we probably ought to be watchful for, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go ahead and get started. Now, you're bound to figure this out as I roll through each position, but the way I plan on formatting it is this. I'll name the general category I'm covering. For instance, I'll be starting with special teams. I'll name the position that I'm going to talk about. I'll name the players that we currently have on the roster at that position, and then I'll talk about how I'm feeling about that position in general, whether the Bears could use improvement, whether I think they're done there, and generally assert whether the Bears are in good shape or bad shape headed into that 2019 season. Now, as I said before, we're going to start with special teams, namely kicking, because of the rookie minicamp that took place this weekend. Now, the draft happened a couple of weekends ago, so it's still fairly fresh, and generally what happens, obviously it happens every year, is each team, all 32 teams, get a small rookie minicamp, about three days. In this case, it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this last weekend, this weekend being Sunday, May the 5th, the last day of that camp, and to my understanding, the general 
general idea and reasoning behind having this minicamp is so that the rookies, newly drafted to an NFL team, can meet the coaches and have some scheduled NFL-mandated and approved time where they can learn a little bit of scheme, get a little bit of NFL practice in so that they can go into the offseason knowing some people, having some connections. Maybe they give them the playbook there. I'm actually not sure, but generally get the flow of things before they head back into the offseason where they're not allowed to talk to the coaches anymore. You get the idea. But one of the biggest stories about this camp this year for the Bears is that the Bears had pulled in not one, not two, but eight kickers. Eight kickers of various backgrounds, some straight from college, and others, like Elliot Fry, having actually come from the AAF very recently. He'd signed a three-year deal, obviously the AAF imploded, and now he's here at Bears Minicamp. And I'm talking about it because the Bears made a big deal out of this camp competition. They talked about how they wanted to create pressure, how they wanted to send an eight-man gauntlet in and see who came out on the other side. To give you an example of what I'm talking about, Matt Nagy, very explicitly and specifically, we all know why, ended the kicking competition on Friday before the Saturday and Sunday days with a 43-yard field goal from the right hash. For those of you who don't know, that is a clear reference to exactly the kick that Cody Parkey borked to end the Bears' season. The Bears were clearly looking for one of these guys to rise up, deal with the pressure, and grab their kicking job by the horns, and from what I can tell, None of them did. We had names like Redford Jones, Chris Blewett, and Casey Bednarski was another one that popped up a lot, competing in many various kicking-related situations, a lot of things that apparently the coaches did to create a lot of pressure. And one notable one that I'll mention is that if there was a situation at the end of Sunday's practice where Casey Bednarski, the UDFA brought in on a tryout basis, represented the Bears' defense, and Redford Jones, currently signed on the roster at the that time represented the offense and they kicked field goals from three separate distances uh, a long one a short one and a mid-range one but Narski apparently hit all three and did a backflip apparently it was really cool from what I'm told of the people on Twitter who seemed like they were there and Redford Jones missed a couple of kicks meaning that he had to stand in the middle of the offense circled around him doing 25 up-downs. Clearly, the Bears were trying to create a pressure situation, get their kickers involved with the team, but the victor, Bednarski, was let go. He was not offered a contract. Jones was cut, to my understanding, so he doesn't have a contract anymore either. And you end up looking at the Bears roster after all of this practice, after all of this competition, and apparently we really don't have an answer. At least that's the impression that I get. When I look at a kicking competition like this, I would have expected one of the winners, who, from what I heard, Bednarski and Spencer Evans were the best performers over the weekend, to ultimately get a contract, but neither did. The status quo kind of remained. And what that's led me to believe personally, is that the Bears may very well think that their kicker isn't on the roster yet. They may have seen all eight of these guys, put them under the microscope, gotten them in those pressure situations, and once they'd performed, maybe none of them lived up to it. 
At the very least, that would explain the lack of action on the Bears' part in signing any of the participants that succeeded. So if they don't think that any of these kiddos is the answer, they'd probably be waiting for a camp cut. I hear the Ravens have somebody interesting, potentially trading for Gould. Matt Bryant is always available, has been available. But ultimately, I look at this room, I look at this kicking room that we have, where apparently we've also hired a kicking consultant, for instance, and I say, I don't think it's done. I don't. You're not going to convince me that Chris Blewett is the guy until he really enters training camp, like really, really enters training camp and succeeds there. The Bears cut Cody Parkey. He had $4 million of dead money. They are looking for the answer right now, and I don't think they found it this weekend. So let's move on from there because we've already spent a little bit longer than I anticipated on kicking and just kicking. Let's move on to long snapper. This is pretty easy. I think Patrick Scales, he's the obvious choice, has been the long snapper for a little while. He sticks around. Just like how punter Pat O'Donnell, while I don't think he's any better than average, and I will hold to that, the numbers back me up. He seems like he's average in almost literally every category. Him and Scales have been there for a while. That's really good because having talked to a couple of other football people who know kicking better than I do, who know special teams better than I do, I've been told that that unit of three guys, the long snapper, the holder, and the kicker, often treat themselves as the place-kicking unit. They do tons of stuff together. They understand each other's chemistry. They treat makes and misses as a team effort that it's not just on the place-kicker. So with that in mind, I look and I see continuity as important. They want to keep that long snapper around. I think they wanted to keep the punter Pat O'Donnell because as as much as average isn't good, average is also not bad, and I tend to get the impression that the Bears didn't want to rock the roster-related boat as often as they could. If they could retain a player who was performing at a high level, keep him because he might very well have been part of the magic that made the 2018 season happen. So I don't think kicker's done, but long snapper and punter are basically moot points because we have what we had last year, and I anticipate we'll get similar performance. I do think that means we're going to get some good Pat O'Donnell punts. Like, for instance, in the playoff game, he punted a ball out at the one, and then later in the game, as many of us know, he shanked a punt late that allowed the Eagles some really short field as they marched up and scored touchdowns. Anyways, that's enough talking about those. Let's get on to kick returner and punt returner. So I think that there's a little bit of spice surrounding the kick returner position, which is to say, while you'd think it would be Patterson's job to win, I actually think that there's going to be a little bit of competition. I look at the Bears' new seventh-round selection, Kareth White, and I think to myself, you know, that guy isn't a small dude. He could very well be a good kick returner. Now, obviously, if he was going to be a good kick returner, I think he'll need to make an impact on special teams in general as well. So that's like gunning on punts, making sure to run down, playing kick coverage well, learning how to tackle. If Kareth White can become an all-around special teamer and prove himself as better than one of the best kick returners in football at the moment, which would be a tall task, let me tell you, because Patterson is a very good kick returner, we could see some fireworks there. Ultimately, I think kick returner is going to get a lot better, even though, and I mean this very seriously, I don't think that there's a position less important on a football field than kick returner, because punt returners actually often get yards and chances to make big plays, but kick returners, a good kicker will put the ball out of the end zone so often, 
or you'll see generally a guy who doesn't play a ton like Benny Cunningham relegated to that kick returning role. I don't think it's as big a deal as punt returning, but you can still make impact. As we know, as we've seen the Patriots do often all the time, they want every single position to be tuned up to the best it can be. This is kind of the same ideology there. Patterson versus White should be a neat battle to watch in training camp for that kick returning position, but either way, it's going to get a lot better. Now, punt returning isn't going to change, and why would it change? We have a player, Tariq Cohen, who just made the Pro Bowl at the position, and he's very, very good at it. See, the big difference between kick returning and punt returning, as far as what I can tell, is that the punt returner gets to choose whether or not they want to field the ball. The kick returner doesn't really. If he lets that thing bounce, it is a live football, and the other team's live able to recover it. But with punt returning, you can wave fair catch and basically wave off a hit. So if you think you're about to get lined up, you don't have to take it. You're fine. The Bears don't want Tariq Cohen to get murdered. They don't want him taking big hits. They they want to keep him preserved over the course of a season as much as possible. But I think he's able to do that in a punt returning role because, again, if he feels the ball, he's making the conscious choice to put himself in harm's way. More often than not, he tends to make good decisions about whether or not he can make a guy miss and ultimately get in free space. He's one of the best return, punt returners in the NFL. I think he needs to stay in that role. Now, one thing I will comment on, and you'll hear me comment on this a couple of times through the offseason because it's something I keep seeing on film. I think Tariq Cohen needs to fix his fumbling issues. He doesn't have huge fumbling issues, especially since the Bears tended to recover many of his fumbles, but he did have a couple of fumbles out of bounds. He had a couple of muff punts that he was able to get back on, and he, when given a big hit, is often liable to drop the ball. Now, obviously, turnovers will kill an offense's production, so both in the offense and in special teams, I'd love to see him clean that up, but he's still one of the best punt returners in the NFL. As a chicken salad, his nickname, he's able to make something out of nothing way more often than he should. It feels like every time I watch him field a punt return on film, I'm saying to myself, wow, how did he get anything out of that? And that's what you want in a guy. Wrapping up special teams, I think we got plenty of solid players like uh, like Ben Broniker. Uh, we lost guys like Bellamy. We still have Sherrick McManus, phenomenal special teams player. But ultimately, I, I really can't give you a good grade on how I expect our special teams to be going into next year because most of the time, we really don't know who those bottom roster special teams players are going to be. Nick Kwiatkowski is a solid special teamer. Broniker is a solid special teamer. Uh, this guy, Hall... Marvin Hall, I believe is his name. He's a solid special teamer. And then we picked up a bunch of great UDFA athletes. Steven Denmark's likely going to contribute on special teams. That guy is big and fast and plenty of other guys. So if Tabor, Chris Tabor, the Bears special teams coordinator, is able to get this unit in high gear, they actually could make some noise this season. But I don't know. I'll need to see it in training camp one way or another, and certainly the first couple of weeks of the season will help assess whether our special teams is headed in the right direction or not. But ultimately, this is a unit that could be good. It could be bad. It's likely to be slightly above average, and that's where I think it'll stop between a very average punter, a good kick returner, and punt returner, and then a total question mark kicker. If the Bears are able to get gold, those will get a lot better, like our unit in general. But the likelihood of us getting him is pretty low because he's going to be pretty expensive right now because I doubt John Lynch wants to give him up. Anyways, 
let's move on to the offense. So it's interesting talking about the offense because I want to say, wow, just like last year, our offense is in a good place. But ultimately, this is an offense that was only 21st in production in the NFL last year. So that's actually below average, which is pretty weird for me to think about because our offenses under John Fox and frankly, even a little bit of Trestman and certainly Lovey Smith have been so bad that the Nagy offense, creative play calling, creative play design, like downright genius play design in some cases, and if you follow me on Twitter or Windy City Gridiron in the rest of my work, you will see me evidence some of what Nagy's able to do. Love his stuff. But anyways, the point is, our offense is much better set up for success than it really has ever been in years past. But let's go through the position-by-position breakdown to talk about whether they got better or worse from 2018, because from a talent perspective, I think things are largely the same. And from an understanding and execution perspective, I really believe that they can get a lot better this year. Case in point, let's start with quarterback. Mitch Trubisky and Chase Daniel are it. They will be it. They are the exact same as 2018, but I expect Trubisky to get a lot better. The reason I do, and again, I could do an entire podcast episode on Trubisky and Trubisky alone, but the point is that Trubisky has shown us through poor end zone play, but also excellent third down play, poor play in the first four weeks of the season, and really phenomenal quarterbacking in weeks 14, oh no, not 14, 14 was a disaster, but so 15, 16, and 17, last three games of the season, that he got a lot better. That's kind of his key, right? He got a lot better and I think he'll continue to get better I certainly hope he'll continue to get better because a lot of our offense's production rides on him once again technically these are the same players between 2018 and 2019 but I expect that year two bump that commonly happens in a Nagy or Andy Reid or Doug Peterson system for a quarterback to hit Mitch Trubisky I'm hoping he jumps from about 95 passer rating to 105 110 would be awesome 115 would be incredible but I'm expecting my barometer for for him is that 105 mark. I think that'll put him uh, roughly in the low top 10, which is where I expect and want him to be. Running back got a lot better. And I say that and know that Bears fans... I love Jordan Howard and everything he brought to the Bears over his career. I have consistently said that, and I will consistently repeat that, because as a person, he's a marvelous young man. He's wonderful to have on your team. Great character guy, if a little bit sensitive, but, you know, who's not? Uh, But I still think that in terms of the Nagy offense, Howard was never our guy, and he showed it in last year's play. He had some moments where his power talent was able to show off a little bit, but But by and large, there were too many negative plays, there weren't enough positive plays, and there were almost no explosive plays to speak of whatsoever. But now, with David Montgomery being the presumed lead back out of the third round from Iowa State University, and I could go into him, probably will in just a second, Tariq Cohen backing him up, the electric Cordero Patterson likely to get some touches out of the backfield, and Mike Davis, a good runner in his own right, certainly a good fit for the Nagy offense, playing more of that Benny Cunningham extra back role, I think the Bears running back room got a lot better. And a lot of that's because of Montgomery. So I think Tariq Cohen is an unbelievable weapon, wonderful weapon for Nagy. He's an easy exploitation of defenses when it comes to matching up with linebackers and taking advantage of matchups that he never should have, where a guy that could never catch him in a million years is asked to cover him. But what we were missing was a consistent inside runner. I always kind of said this, and you can look back at a couple of pods and hear it, that the Bears sort of needed their Kareem Hunt, and they found him in Montgomery. 
Hunt's a little bit faster. Montgomery's a little bit more evasive. But outside of that, they are very, very similar players. Didn't get a ton of running back receiving reps in college, but both of them displayed fairly smooth hands, solid pass blocking, the ability to do a lot. And Montgomery seems like he will do just that a lot in this offense. I think that makes us a lot better. It's going to turn a lot of the things where we lost yards, like a lot of our poor negative run plays into zeros or one yard gains. I think it'll crack a lot more explosive plays, nice little 10 to 20 yard gains that move the sticks and other things like that. We're going to be a lot better. We have more home run threats than ever in the running back room with Patterson and even, again, Kareth White, who I honestly don't know if he'll make the team, and that's no slight to him. Our roster, our 53-man roster, is just in a really good place right now. But let's move on to wide receiver. So the Bears surprised me, certainly, and picked Riley Ridley with the fourth pick of the NFL draft. Now, apparently, from everything that I understand from Jacob Infante and EJ Snyder, he was a great value pick, and I'm glad we added him, because Taylor Gabriel, let's be honest, come 2020, I doubt he's going to be on the Bears. He's an expensive receiver to have around, while he is good, but he just ends up coming in, he being Riley Ridley, as an ad, and he'll bolster this unit and make us better. I expect Anthony Miller, who just got his shoulder surgically repaired, to get a lot better. I'm expecting Allen Robinson, who's finally going to be coming off that injury, really getting clean from that ACL tear last offseason. Well, it was, you know, two seasons ago, but you get the idea that he's going to assert himself as the Bears' number one. I think Anthony Miller will take that number two role. He's very, very talented. And Taylor Gabriel will move back into Miller's number three slot and generally take up a little bit less of the target share from there. Now, I expect Gabriel to remain a major third down weapon as he was, but if you can't tell from where I'm trying to lead you guys on this, I don't think Riley Ridley will make all that much of an impact this year. Now, that doesn't make it a bad pick whatsoever because Matt Nagy's offensive system takes a little while to learn, but I'm expecting that Javon Wims, Emmanuel Hall, and Marvin Hall will have a heck of a battle for that last couple of roster spots down on the bottom. It'll be really interesting, given that I'm expecting the Bears to carry about six wide receivers, as to whether they ultimately classify Patterson as a wide receiver or not. If they don't, they consider him in the running back room. That'll make room for one of Javon Wims or Emmanuel Hall to make this roster rather than getting threatened to get cut and waved and as we try to squeeze a really talented receiver onto that practice squad. Now, I'm starting to run out of wide receiver time, but I'll finish up with this. Emmanuel Hall could be really good. I think he's got a lot of work to do and a lot of fine-tuning around his game because right now, from an NFL perspective, I think he's just, quote-unquote, a fast guy. Moving on, let's go to tight end. So I like Dax Raymond as a UDFA, but I doubt he's going to supplant the proven NFL tight end that is Trey Burton. That doesn't mean that I'm in love with Trey Burton. I'm ready for the Bears to find somebody to replace Trey Burton because from all accounts, I get the impression that he had about as pedestrian of a Nagy tight end season as you can. Burton's a good route runner, but he made almost no contested catches and he didn't really do a ton to truly separate himself or prove that he belonged in that Kelsey or Zach Ertz conversation. Now that's not to say that the Bears absolutely have to have an elite tight end, but this offense loves its tight ends, and getting that elite guy would obviously be astounding. I doubt Burton's it. I think he's a good, quote-unquote, replacement level U tight end for now, but we'll need to look to replace 
replace him fairly soon. He's solid for 2019, though, and I do think he'll turn in a slightly better season, especially if he can conquer some of his anxiety issues. Now, Adam Shaheen is worth replacing, and if he can stay healthy, he might actually develop into something, but I do think his Bears career is starting to come to an end. It's tough when you have to pay people, because in the Bears' current situation, they just don't have a lot of money to throw around. So a guy like Shaheen, who is drafted out of the second round and is currently best used as a pseudo-blocker and a red zone target sometimes, I think it's going to be hard to cut that guy a big paycheck, even if he does catch, gosh, like 400 yards would be really neat for him. And it's kind of sad to say that only 400 yards would be his target for the season. But yeah, if he can hit that, that would be huge for him. Might get him money somewhere else. We just don't have enough. Now let me do a lightning round on the offensive line because I am starting to get shorter on time than I anticipated. Sorry for rambling, everybody. But the gist is that the offensive line should get a little bit better due to continuity as long as they can stay healthy. I expect James Daniels to continue playing well at guard. I don't know why they would flip the center and guard because they talked about potentially flipping Daniels and Whitehair. I don't think we should move these guys too much, especially Whitehair, due to my understanding, keeps getting flipped back and forth between guard and center leave him in one place, let him grow there. Long is a mauler when he's healthy, and he hasn't had surgery this offseason, which is neat. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Massey took that great pay cut, which was awesome. Thank you, Bobby Massey. Well, pay cut as in compared to what he could have gotten on the open market. And Leno is a very, very stout left tackle. I think that this line will continue to gel under Harry Highstand. I'm very interested to see what Alex Bars and some of the other UDFA pickups, as well as Ted Larson, are going to be able to provide us in depth. If Bars, I'm talking really, really optimistic here, could grow into a role where he could replace uh, Kyle Long or Rashad Coward, who to my understanding was playing pretty well at the tackle position last year, could grow into a role where he could fill in for either Leno or uh, Massey in a pinch, that would be really great because we'd have some cheap offensive linemen that were able to provide quality play. We'll have to see where it goes. Obviously, training camp will be a lot of fun to watch in that regard as we get to see these guys play a little bit more than we hopefully ever will across the season but yeah something to watch for line should get a little bit better than 2018 because they're the same and they're still on the same team running the same offense but outside of that I'm not expecting a firecracker offensive line I'm not expecting an incredible offensive line just a good one in fact they could be very good we'll have to see I expect good less than good would disappoint me now let's move on to the defense because the defense is awesome loaded with stars. There's a lot of fun things to talk about here, so let's just get right into it and start out with the defensive line. I think the Bears' defensive line is great, especially as long as Eddie Goldman can stay healthy, because when you've got Akeem Hicks lining up next to Eddie Goldman, who was a phenomenal run stuffer all throughout the year, I think you've got two guys that give defenses huge problems all throughout games that will last throughout the year. Akeem Hicks is an animal. One of my favorite defensive linemen to watch, especially over the last couple of years, because his aggression, his ability to cut through blocks, the way he works with his hands, the way he exploits his imbalance of power, where he's just way stronger than a lot of these offensive linemen, and uses technique to gain leverage and push them away. It's awesome. It's fun to watch. He's a dominator, and he is the perfect kind of guy to have on the line that plays with Khalil Mack and the other edge rushers. Now, the two main names 
that I want to mention in terms of improving on 2018 are Bilal Nichols, who will be entering his sophomore season, and Roy Robertson-Harris. So Roy Robertson-Harris will finally be continuing to play D-line. And I say that because I really believe turning him back into an edge rusher is a mistake. He was successful as a defensive lineman. Leave him there. Let the guy grow into a position for once because he's actually pretty solid in terms of replacement there. And Bilal Nichols, who has an explosive first step, just carves through offensive lines, often looking as if he's moving well before they've even stood up. He should be able to make a little more noise himself. Now, obviously, injuries have held him back in the past. Hopefully, he, as well as Goldman and, frankly, Hicks and Roy Robertson-Harris and others can stay healthy because the longer they're healthy, of course, the more they can develop, the more impact they can make. But I expect Nichols to be better than his 2018 self, certainly more consistent. I'm hoping he adds a little bit extra weight so that he can be a better down-to-down contributor. Then again, he will be a backup rotational guy. He'll get some snaps. I think he'll play a good bit, frankly, but he should be better than his 2018 self and will make an already scary Bears defensive line even scarier. Kind of crazy to admit. So let's move on to a couple of the easier-to-address positions before I talk about what I think is the elephant in the room. So first, we'll talk about inside linebacker Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith head that up with very questionable depth behind them in Nick Kwiatkowski, who's not exactly fleet of foot, and Joel... um, Iggy, we'll, Iggy, we'll call him that. I have no idea what we're going to do if the off-tender Danny Trevathan gets hurt. Trevathan's a great player, works really, really well with Roquan, and to my understanding, still calls the defense, so the Bears would be down a big leader if he gets hurt, but if those two can stay healthy, they'll be awesome. Very excited to see sophomore Roquan. If he can take a step forward, he could be another leader, another gemstone in the Bears' defense, which would just, I'm serious, we would be loaded with with stars at that point. I think the addition of Duke Shelley makes our cornerback room really great, and you might be a little surprised to hear that, but Shelley seems to me like the perfect kind of guy to slot into that nickel cornerback role, whether now or a little bit further down the road in the season. I like Buster Screen more than most. A lot of people bag on him like he's this absolutely terrible cornerback. I think he's fine. Most importantly, Screen has a lot of experience playing outside, where he played four years with the Browns, and four years playing nickel, so should the Again, I keep saying this, but I'm serious. It's a big question mark. The oft-injured Prince Mukamura and Kyle Fuller, each of them with their own littered injury history. If either of them goes down, I think Buster Screen would be able to slide over, and Shelley would be a much better nickel option than Sherrick McManus, who remains on the roster. Be shocked if McManus gets cut, and we've got solid cornerbacking options all throughout. Now, if we lose both boundary corners at any point, if we're down both Prince of Mukamura and Kyle Fuller, that's obviously going to be really bad, but very few teams are going to be able to plan for that effectively and the Bears are are not exceptional in that regard. We're going to need health from at least one of them, but should one of them go down, and only one, especially for short periods of time, I think screen rolling over and Shelly getting some work in won't be near as bad as it could be for other positions. Safety is a quick one to hit because assuming that Eddie Jackson can even just remain at the level that he was from 2018 to 2019, I think he'll remain exceptional. I think he'll be able to cover well for any safety that plays next to him, which is handy because Dion Bush is basically just a hitter. Uh, I'm I'm a little higher on him than some, but I don't want to make it sound like I think Dion Bush is some phenomenal guy. I basically just think that he's, you know, 
90% of Amos's hitting ability and probably 80% of his coverage ability. That lands you at a safety that's not super good, certainly not going to be worth a second contract, but somebody that could sub in from HaHa Clinton Dix on occasion. I, for one, am pretty down on Clinton Dix's ability to tackle, but from the moment that the ball is snapped to the point when the ball actually reaches a receiver, Clinton Dix is one of the best safeties in football, and I find that hard to argue. Overall, I expect the safety position from 2018 to 2019 to produce at relatively the same level. I don't know if Jackson will remain the best safety in the NFL. I think that there's a good chance that he'll slide to being in the top five because it's just hard to keep up that best safety in the NFL attitude. Not to mention, I really believe that Adrian Amos's ability to fill gaps in the running game and play short stuff allowed Jackson to sit back in deep coverage where he likes to be a whole lot. I don't know if we can trust uh, Clinton Dix or occasionally Bush to do that as well. That may very well put Jackson in a couple more unfavorable positions. And if he misses a tackle and they end up running it, you know, all the way into the end zone like we saw in Miami, that doesn't look good and then knock him down a couple of pegs. I do think that the Bears' safeties will have a little bit more ball hawk in them. We might actually see more interceptions come out of that position, would be which would be nuts because Jackson did a great job by himself. But... I do think that we'll see a couple more missed tackles, like I've kind of said about Pagano and his style of defense since he was hired. I'm expecting more big plays on both sides of the ball, more positive big plays and more negative big plays. And Clinton Dix certainly affirms that because, again, tackling, pretty questionable. Ball hawking skills, absolutely there. So all in all, I think it'll be a wash, a little more of a bumpy ride, but one that contains more thrills as well, which is neat. So now let's talk about the elephant in the room, the edge position. Now that's the elephant to me because we really don't know what we have in Leonard Floyd. We keep thinking we know, but we don't really know. The only edge player that I think we really have a good read on who they will be in 2019 is Khalil Mack, and he'll remain exceptional. And that's <laughs> that's because his contract demands that he remain exceptional. He's not a guy who has tremendous injury history. The injuries that he has had in the past haven't lended themselves to debilitate him in the future, and so I expect him to remain at that Pro Bowl All-Pro level because he's just awesome. Those clips of him tearing through three guys by himself to still collect the sack, all his forced fumbles, the way he plays, the way when he goes at quarterbacks, he specifically targets the ball and not any part of the quarterback. I think those are things that are phenomenal for a defense, they're phenomenal for a player in general, and that he does a great job and he'll continue to do a great job. The dude's been a leader all his life. I don't expect that to change. He's certainly being paid enough that he will rise to the occasion, made a habit of doing it, you understand. We're talking about Khalil Mack, guys. We know who he is. But it's Leonard Floyd that I think creates the biggest question mark in this edge group. Now, I know there are some people that are really high on Matthew Betts. And while I get where you're going with that, while I know that he looked pretty darn good against Canadian football guys... Ultimately, I'm going to stick with the rule that I heard a while back. It's just a strict data rule, and you could say, but he's the exception, but, but I doubt he will be. Uh, apparently, there has been almost no NFL successful edge players that have not been drafted in the first three rounds. So fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, UDFA, almost no guys. And so I'll believe we magically find a successful edge player in UDFA the moment that I see it. 
I think it's a hard sell, and that leaves us with three what I'll call real edge players. We have Cleo Mack, we have Leonard Floyd, and we have Aaron Lynch. And behind them, nothing. Because I don't count Kylie Fitz, the guy who couldn't earn basically any snaps to save his life. I don't really count Isaiah Irving, though that guy can actually make some plays, so he makes for a decent fourth outside linebacker. But we're really down to those three, especially those two up at the top, Leonard Floyd and Cleo Mack. Now, Leonard Floyd was drafted ninth overall in the 2016 NFL Draft, and that's neat. We traded up to get him. From all accounts, the Giants were going to take him, but... Even in that, he really has never turned in an NFL career that makes you go, man, that guy's great. He's always had some potential, but he doesn't do super well with one-on-one blocks, which is a bummer because he gets a lot of them. With Akeem Hicks on our line, Khalil Mack on our line, heck, even Eddie Goldman eating double teams against running plays, Floyd very rarely has to deal with extra pressure. And so if we were going to have like a really great pass rush with a great pass rusher like Leonard Floyd, because remember, before the Khalil Mack trade, he was going to be our number one pass rusher. This would be the environment for him to thrive in. He ended up playing pretty well in the back half of the 2018 season, but we still don't know whether we're going to get the guy who, again, while he played hurt, he also played very badly in that first half of the 2018 season, or are we going to get that guy who seemed to be on fire, playing with a lot of energy, getting pressures more often than we just about ever seen him, really coming into his own, even sassing the Packers and Aaron Rodgers after that huge Week 15 sack, the Leonard Floyd that finished out that back half of the 2018 season. Now, look, I'm a big Bears fan, and I like being optimistic, but I can't project, I'm just not going to say, I'm not going to look at you guys and lie to you and say, yeah, I think the 2019 Bears edge will be better because Leonard Floyd will be healthy all year. I just don't know. Floyd's been too inconsistent. When he is healthy, he's been solid. When he's hurt, which is a lot, uh, that'll degrade his play a good bit. I have no confidence that he's going to be healthy coming into the 2019 season. I just don't because camp has to happen, and he's gotten hurt in there plenty of times before. I hope Aaron Lynch stays healthy, but he obviously has his own injury issues as well. Not to mention, Fangio has been Lynch's linchpin (laughs) uh, all his career. I don't expect Lynch to just magically continue his run. I hope he does, but I always look and I say, you know, given what Lynch was able to do, which was a good bit of production for a third outside linebacker in 2018, I expected him to get paid a lot more than the penance that he got in free agency this last year. I understand cutting a team a hometown deal, but I I don't think that's what happened. I really don't get the impression that the market valued Lynch much at all. I think he's a solid third outside linebacker. I'm very happy to have him on this team, but I don't think he's going to play particularly well if he's ever pressed into that second outside linebacker role. And certainly if disaster strikes and Floyd and Lynch are both hurt, I have no idea what we're going to do at Edge. That's a position that obviously I'd love to see some improvement on, but that's a position that tons of teams want to see improvement on any given time, all throughout the NFL, all across the NFL, and I really expect that our improvement at Edge Rusher is going to come in the 2020 draft, where we have two second rounders. I won't be shocked if one of them ends up being an Edge player, and that we ride with what we've got for now. Overall thoughts, because we are 
well past the time that I expected this to take. I think the 2019 team is better. I think one of the biggest reasons that they are better is because they are the same team. And on offense, they should get much better than that 21st rating, partially due to continuity, partially due to player improvement. Trubisky, Miller, Robinson, talking about those three in particular, and cementation of the offensive line that should remain the same, chemistry improving from there. I'm expecting them to land between... For some reason, the numbers that come to my head are 14 and 9th. I would love to see them get better. Like, please, blow the doors off. But this is still a Bears offense we're talking about, and the Bears don't exactly have phenomenal offensive tradition, so I do think that that's going to hold them back a little bit until they wake up and realize that they can win, they ought to believe in themselves, and that they have the talent to do it. Tons of it rests on Trubisky. If Trubisky blows away all of our expectations and ends up playing his way into the like low top five, like if he ends up being a sixth best, fifth best quarterback in the NFL, I know, a guy can dream. I expect this offense to probably be third-ish in the NFL, like really, really good. But if he can just hit that benchmark that I've set for him, 105 passer rating, uh, maybe 110, pull himself in that low top 10 quarterback region, I think this offense will sit just under the the top 10 maybe the low top 10 but either way big improvement from last year on the defensive side of the ball I'm still anticipating some regression I think it's really hard not to I'm serious it's really hard not to we had such great injury luck last year everything worked well the defense was something that had been installed and had been run for a while so really all the cards fell just the way you'd hope they would and we ended up with a phenomenal defensive season I'm still expecting a top five defense maybe we'll slip to sixth or seventh but we'll have a good defense squarely in the top 10 I just expect hell to ravage the team just a little bit more, but they'll still turn in a solid season. Again, they'll probably lose a key leader to injury time, hopefully nothing season-ending, of course, but I still think that the defense is going to be one to be paid attention to, probably one to be feared. The pass rush is too good. The secondary is very solid with a lot of room for improvement. Very curious to see where Steven Denmark, who I didn't even have time to mention, will end up slotting in probably in 2020. I expect him to be a 2019 special teamer, and ultimate project player. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. Special teams, total question mark. A lot of it depends on the kicking position. I think both of our returning positions are going to get a lot better. Uh, Putt returner staying obviously where it is. Most of that improvement coming in kick returner. I think punter couldn't be more average. Uh, And long snapper is, you know, a long snapper. He's no Patrick Manley, but he'll do for now. And then a lot of the other stuff that's just really hard to evaluate. Like it's great to know that guys are special teamers like Sherrick McManus, but in terms of just raw projection saying our special teams will or won't be good, I I really don't know how to do that. I mean, I have no idea how to do that. But anyways, that about wraps up this show, folks. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope you learned something. Feel free to reach out at any point. You can find me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's at R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. And you have been listening to Bear With Me on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. Folks, I am excited for this offseason. I'm excited to keep bringing you content. And I am excited for the Bears 2019 season cannot wait so stoked for training camp we finally know the roster again couldn't be more excited and until next time folks bear down and thanks so much for bearing with me